Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon. I'm your host, as always, here with uh, possible co-host of the year, Brandon Stevens. Brandon, say hello to the people. Jay, what's up? I guess that will be confirmed sometime in the first week of January. Well, uh, let me get this out of the way first. So we, um, you, know, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. You can listen on Spotify, TuneIn. Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio. Anywhere. You can listen to iHeartRadio. Tidal. Uh, yeah, not Rhapsody. yet. We're going to, we're going to, I have a call into Jay-Z. We're going to get on Tidal soon. Um, but yeah, if you could, you know, please listen, share, support the podcast. Uh, if you could go back, if, you, if you're thinking of like, what could I get Jeremy and Brandon from the Live to Walk Again podcast for Christmas, mm. just go back and click on a few episodes that you haven't listened to yet. And, I'd, uh, I'd really like to get a five-star rating. Or a five-star rating would be great, too, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, because that's the only place you can uh, rate. But we appreciate you listening. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. This is the day after Christmas right now. This is the day after Christmas right now. And we're this, dedicated. And you lollygagged so much this week that we, I, I was like ready to have this podcast ready to put out right now. But Oh, it's still coming recording. out today. Oh, I know it's coming out today. Just a little later? Just a little later. And that may affect your, your voting on the uh, <laughs> podcast co-host of the year. <laughs> I talked to Mark Rails this week and he said that he's hearing, he's hearing rumblings that you may not have won it. But we'll, we'll how many episodes? How many episodes does he have? He doesn't have any. We have there's there's still the unconfirmed uh, diss track podcast that hasn't come out yet. But that's we'll uh, keep that on the we'll keep that on ice. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope everybody I, did have a, a, a wonderful Christmas. How how was yours, Brandon? Oh, it was really great. Um, you know, we had a much different Christmas than usual because right. we were. Um, just trying to do our part and, you know, not gather in large groups. So we weren't uh, with my family or with my, with our friends. Um, and that's all right. We we were all able to just, you know, hang out and cook a good meal. Um, I know you brought me some uh, some prime rib leftovers. Made, made all the goods, made all the fixings, <laughs> all the fixings. But no, nah, man, it was good. How about how about you? It was good, man. I had a few more people than, uh, like I had a few people stop by kind of unannounced, which is a little nerve wracking for me. So I was hiding in the corner, uh, for a good portion of the day, but, um, you know, it was, was never too many for too long. So I just, uh, just hit out trying to, trying to be safe as safe as possible, at least until I can get this vaccine, then I'm going to be out here. Oh, I know you're going to be out here. It's coming, Jay. The, yeah, you're I, on you're on the list of of one C if I'm looking at at the um, the schematic correctly of prioritizing vaccinations. One C is for people who are immune compromised. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready. Whenever whenever my number gets called, I'll be there. I'm yeah. ready for it. I'm ready for it. Um, so Brandon, I'm trying to come with just like more energy, more excitement Good. today because, Thank you. and I'm going to try to do this all the time now, I, but I think you should, I'm just sometimes saying, I just want to just like our guest today. I don't need your criticism okay. right now, but our guest today, his name is Robert Paler. 
Uh, he is a former uh, Cal University of California at Berkeley uh, rugby player, and he was injured in the national championship game. Dang. And I think in 2017, he said, you'll hear the interview next, so you'll be able to decipher that uh, information for yourself. Imagine what could, but, could, could have been maybe like the greatest moment in your life. Man. Turned into maybe the complete opposite. But this... Robert is the most positive exactly. human being I have ever talked to. He is like, it, like his attitude is, you know, like nothing's gonna keep me down. Like I love is, that. Yeah, it's it's great. He he actually keeps, um, pretty much every day I believe he updates, uh, like YouTube, Twitter, Instagram with videos of him like like because he's like gotten to the point now where he can walk with a walker. Wow! And get himself up to cool, a walker. Man. That's um, that's awesome. But he'll he'll just put a video out of him like walking with a walker, and at the bottom it'll just say day one thousand three hundred twenty nine. Like he's in I it. think was today. So yeah, it, it's amazing, man. So he's uh he's super motivated. We talked about we talked about that last last week, man, on just how you have to be consistent. Yeah. And just, it takes time. Everything takes time. And if you're talking about a thousand days worth of just like grinding on it, mm-hmm. that's uh, a lot of people would give up, Jay. So, yeah, I mean, day 1,329. So, several since, years. Since he, yeah, several since years. His injury. So, um, you know, that it, it was, it was great talking to him. We, we went for almost an hour and, uh, probably could have talked for two. Like, he's, yeah, it's just very, uh, inspiring and uh interesting and yeah it was a great great conversation um before we get to that interview i did want to give a quick shout out to art the inspiration and uh life goes on foundation and for their uh virtual gala that was on the 23rd absolutely um they you know raised they they were uh trying to get to fifty thousand dollars i think they went over by at least a few thousand while i was watching um, I know cool. they. I know they spelled your name wrong, and I just want to say that that's not their fault. No, it's it's your good, fault, man, know, for having just tricky. a weird ass spelling of your name. I mean, my last name's no, Dixon. That's not that weird of a spelling. But if if most people were like asked to spell that, that wouldn't be the way they spelled it. Is D I X O N? No, they would say like D I C K S O N. Are you sure? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know about that. No, I know but that. My first name is definitely a, a strange way to spell. Yeah, it's all weird. It, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, man. It is. Thanks. And then my middle name is Giovanni, so it's like... That's I just, the easiest all, part to spell in your whole name. Yeah, right. You probably can't even spell that. Anyway, we... Uh, yeah, is it but, two N's or one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. You but, know, probably like what? <laughs> No, I, yeah, it's uh, it's all good, man. I have a strange name, but but Brandon, it's not a strange name. No, it's not. It's, it's just a strange, strange spelling. spelling. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Dixon's probably a pretty common name, but my You're parents. Just a shout basic out to my bitch, parents man. for uh, <laughs> just so shout, basic. Shout out to my parents for having to put a little funk on. Hey, it. man, that was the thing. Now people spell names crazy as hell, man. It's they true. just be making up uh, phonetic sounds, man. Like that, those two letters don't make that sound, but they're just like, yeah, that's how you spell it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. So I'm the not... poor kid's gonna have to spell his name for the rest of his life, right? No doubt. Or get pronounced wrong. Yeah, 
Well, hey, let's uh, this this uh, we're gonna cut this this intro a little short so we can uh, you know, it's keep everybody's attention because this is gonna long be a long interview. long interview. Oh, with, I'm uh, sure Robert. they'll be dialed in, and it'll it's a good one though. So yeah, just hold tight and get get to this interview. We'll talk to you on the other side. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we're so excited to welcome Robert Paler, who is a UC Berkeley alumni, as well as a national championship rugby player at UC Berkeley. And uh, he's a uh, public speaker doing TED Talks and things like that. Um, you know, Robert, welcome to the podcast, man. appreciate you, you hopping on with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I usually start these interviews out and uh, just, you know, ask whoever I'm talking to, you know, for anybody that doesn't know your story, can you, you know, kind of give us a little bit of, of how, you know, tell us about how you were injured and, and uh, what led up to that and all that, those sorts of things. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, for these injuries, everybody's kind of got their day, right? You know, that day that they'll remember, probably better than any day for the rest of their life. Uh, for me, that was May 6, 2017, which was the day of the Collegiate Rugby National Championship here in America. Um, I loved rugby. I kind of found it in high school. You know, it's sort of like the, in America, it's like this weird European sport. People are like, oh, it's like football without pads or something like that. Well, my high school is really good over here in Sacramento, and I just like loved hitting people growing up. I was just like a physical athlete, so I took to rugby. Um, really easily, really enjoyed it and was pretty good at, good at it playing over at Cal, uh, which is usually number one in the nation every year. I mean, if we come in number two in the nation, that's like a bad year, you know, oh shoot, like we're number two in the nation. Um, so I get there and I'm starting as a sophomore. Things are going really well. I want to play professionally. Um, you know, I really want to have a future in this and, you know, not just that, but everything was going my way. Do you know, I'm doing well in school. I got a great family, great friends, just my future is bright. Everything's going the way that I want it to. And I'm getting ready to compete in this match. Um, what I think is going to be the best day of my life, biggest game of my life. I'm going out there and I got like that feeling like the nerves in my stomach. You know, it's like that excitement that's going on. And I remember standing side by side, kind of looking this team up and down thinking we're going to battle right now. Rugby is a really tough physical game you got to have your head screwed on straight to go out and you know lower your shoulder into someone and you know it's going to be painful it's going to be tough but you know in the end of it when you get to raise a trophy like that man that's all worth it yeah so we won the coin toss we want to kick the ball off you know we want to hit him first so we all lined up in a line referee blows his whistle i'm sprinting down that field it's national championship time let's go now, in this match, I'm competing in a mall very early on. And for those who don't know rugby very much, it's one of the bigger guys. We group together in the single unit and we push the other team who's in a single unit to advance this ball. Defense's job is to come straight in and stop us from pushing forward. And, and I'm a big dude, right? I was like six foot five, 240 pounds. Like I was put on this earth to move people. So this was my moment here in the boiler room, just getting my legs going, pushing these guys forward. But these opposing players, they started making these illegal moves and the ref wasn't calling it. So player comes in from the side, she's not supposed to do. He binds me around my neck. He's pinning my chin to my chest in a headlock. Now, normally in rugby, this would be an automatic yellow or red card, an immediate suspension from the game, but ref's not calling it. Now I'm fighting this, got my you know eyes closed, just trying to push through this. And another player comes in, he tossed me down by my legs. So I start going down. 
he's got my my chin still pinned to my chest like this and i just remember fighting it i'm falling i close my eyes i grip my teeth and then boom snap my face slammed against my chest it's just like this poof of everything gone below my neck um i'm lying there and i'm waking up in a nightmare right um i'm waking up in a completely different reality um but i'm completely conscious you know throughout all this um really, really terrified, really, really scared, kind of instinctually just try to pop up, you know, in rugby and all these physical games, there's plenty of times when you fall down, but you just, you know, you get right back up and go and you do the next job, but I can't move. And, um, you know, I, I've broken plenty of bones before, gosh, like six bones, but this one was in my neck. You know, I, I knew how bad this could be. Um, I just remember like praying to Jesus, you know, I'm a religious person. Um, went to Catholic school, K through 12. Uh, my faith is very important to me. Just thinking, you know, why God, like, why did this happen? I mean, help me, please let this just be like some quick little scare. Um, but deep down inside, I, I knew it was bad. I knew that I had broken my neck. Um, I knew that this was probably going to be a really, really long journey. And immediately I just start like questioning every goal I've ever had. I'm like, am I ever going to go play rugby again? Am I going to be able to go to school? see my friends, you know, like all those things, like meet a girl, get married, start a family. Like I was thinking also like, am I going to be able to walk? Am I going to be able to feed myself again? I mean, I could barely even breathe. You know, my diaphragm was partially paralyzed at this point. And I go over to the hospital. We do all the medical imaging, MRI, CT scans, x-rays, and doctor comes back and he's like, Robert, what happened to you is bad, really bad. And the reality is you will never walk again. You will never move your hands and we're going to do our best. You can do something like pick up a piece of pizza um, and bring it to your face. You know, if you can do that, then, then you're beating the odds in this situation. Diagno diagnosed me like a C5-6 um, Asia B injury at that. In the beginning stage, it was all spinal shock. So I was like totally paralyzed from probably like the collarbone down. It kind of shrugged my shoulders, but couldn't lift my arms up. You know, nothing in the wrists or biceps like a typical C5-6 injury would have. Um, and then after a couple hours... I started being able to sort of like move my biceps a little bit, little bit in the wrists and stuff like that. Um, and then very deep pressure sensation, you know, like you could put a knife in my leg and I'd be like, oh, you know, like, uh, like I think something's there, but like it doesn't hurt, which was an amazing sign, you know, right in the beginning. Like you'll take whatever you can get in those kinds of moments. But it was bleak in the beginning. It was really bleak. Um, and I remember the doctor also recommended surgery to me, you know, needing to get uh, spinal fusion and. Um, and he's like, you know, Robert, we're going in through the front of your neck here. That's a lot of important real estate. Just want to let you know if something go, goes wrong, um, if we're just a little bit off on this thing. Like, you know, you might not wake up. And by the way, you need to make a decision in the next hour, whether you want to go <laughs> into the surgery or not, because uh, this is an emergency. Um, so my mind's just running wild, running absolutely wild. Um, but still in my heart, knowing like, I'm not going to let this be all bad. I, I cannot live the rest of my life listening to the words this guy told me and just sit back and let my life pass me by no way not happening not me i'm going to do absolutely everything i can to get better and whether i actually do one day maybe get out of my wheelchair or be able to go back to school and all those things who knows what's going to happen but i have to at least try I have to at least go for it because if I live my entire life and look back on the end of the day and know that I didn't go all in, I will regret that forever. So I decided to go into that surgery, fuse up my spine, 
Man, said my prayer, said goodbye to my family, closed my eyes, and that concluded May 6, 2017. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, so you said you were a, a C56 then was the damage? That's right. Yeah. Incomplete Asia B. So no motion below my injury level, but a li- like deep, deep pressure sensation throughout my body. So, you know, good sign there, but not great. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I've, I, there's a friend of the podcast, uh, Simon Kalkavecchia from, uh, I'm, I'm here in Olympia, Washington. And he's, he's a local guy here. Um, and he actually got into rugby after, uh, after high school and got yeah. offered to go play in um, Australia for, um, you know, they, they brought him down, like pay, put him up and paid for him to play. And uh, so he was having like a great time as like an 18, 19 year old kid he got hurt in a, in a pretty similar way and uh, you know, had to be flown back from Australia. And so it's uh, I think, yeah, I've talked to a couple of people that, that have kind of suffered, you know, similar injuries as yeah. far as uh, with rugby, um, which is crazy, but with your, your situation, I, and I've, I've talked to a few people also who have been injured on camera, like during a game or, or something like that. And, so how hard was it for you to go back and watch that video um, of, of your injury happening? And I, I've seen the, you know, I saw the little uh, Pac-12 uh, montage they did about you, um, which was very cool. And, and you can't, I guess you can't see it that well, but they kind of zoom in on it. Um, but how, how, what was that experience like? Have you watched the video? Was it hard to come back and watch the video? It was brutal. It was extremely hard. You know, at, at first, I didn't really know what happened in that mall. It was very quick. You know, things just happen and like you're in the heat of the moment and going through doing your job. And I didn't know exactly how it played out in the beginning. I just knew that I hit the deck and, you know, I broke my neck and I couldn't move anything. And now I had to deal with the situation. Um, it was very shortly after that photos and you know the game footage and people just with cell phones on the sidelines started sending in this video and photographic evidence of what happened and it was very very clearly illegal um usa rugby said there's there's three non-negotiable red cards in rugby um and one of them and i quote like verbatim no contact binds or tackles whatsoever with the head or neck. And when you look at these pictures and these videos, I mean, this guy's just wrenching down on my neck, right? You can see the tension in the back of my neck and I'm fighting this thing. It's blatant. It's obvious. And um, at first I kind of thought that this was just maybe an accident, you know, it's just kind of a fluke thing and um, just an unlucky thing to happen to me. But then after all this evidence comes forward, I'm like, someone did this to me. I mean, somebody's actions illegal actions that never should have happened are why I'm in this situation right now. So you can bet, man, I was angry. I wanted to be pissed off. And when I was watching videos, you talked about that PAC 12 feature, um, you know, where you can see my neck strain and I'm going to the ground, going to the ground and then just like snap, you see the neck snap. And like, I'm watching that thing and I'm like, you know, like get your head up, like get, get that arm off your neck, whatever. There was nothing I could do. And I'm just thinking like, you know, man, like it all came down to that one moment and I'm like, I'm watching it. It's very, it's pretty rare that people have a spinal cord injury and they, they see themselves breaking their neck um, and reliving that, that pretty tragic moment. And here's the thing too, like 
this guy who broke my neck, he has never reached out to me. And uh, he never said he was sorry. Uh, not once. Was gonna be, that was going to be my next question. If he had reached out to you or not, that's, yeah, that's man. terrible, man. Two yeah. Three. We that's are uh, 1,325 days into this thing right now um, around there. And I haven't heard from him from one of those seconds, but, and that made me really angry in the beginning too. You know, I, I came from a sport where it's like, if someone hits you, you hit them back. Um, you hit them harder. Right. And uh, that was kind of my instinct. And in that situation, you know, that was, the, that was, those were like the feelings I had in my heart. And uh, the fact that he wasn't saying sorry, made it so much worse, but I was just thinking, man, the more hate I give to this guy, the more anger I have around what he did to me, the more power I give to him and the less power I give to myself. So I forgive him whether he's sorry or not. I absolutely 100% forgive him for what he did. Um, oh, that, that's huge of you, man. The, yeah, because yeah. I, mean, I, I can't imagine uh, that that's a tough, that's a, definitely a tough situation to deal with. Yeah, with the guy not even reaching out or, or apologizing in any way. That's that's pretty uh that's pretty brutal but I, that's that's huge of you man yeah because like i guess you know that's the thing it's like you uh you know it'll stop you from going forward if you devote a bunch of time and energy to being mad at somebody else so um oh. yeah you know and I, I saw um on one of the either interviews or videos that i watched kind of leading up to this interview um about that you so after surgery um, in in California, you flew out to uh, the world famous uh, Craig Rehabilitation Hospital in Colorado. Right. Um, how long after, I guess, your surgery and stuff did, were you able to to make that trip? And then how long were you there for? Yeah. So once I had my surgery, the surgeon went awesome. Like the the surgeon did an incredible job. Um, but I started entering this really medically destabilized position to where very early on, I realized I couldn't swallow anything. Um, we would try just eating basic things like yogurts or baby food, just like get some water down, down my throat. And it was going into my lung. Um, you, you know, I'm not, and here with this mostly paralyzed diaphragm, I couldn't cough at that point. You know, it was just like, it was like, <sighs> like that was my cough. So I couldn't get anything out. So very scary, very, very dangerous. They had to put an NG tube up, you know, through my nose down to my upper intestine. Um, and I broke my nose twice playing rugby. So, I mean, it looks fine on the outside, but on the inside, you know, it's got kinks and it's crooked and everything. And man, it took like three separate days of shoving that thing up in my nose. And it was just like bloody and painful. It is the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. But I mean, I had to eat. It was like three or four days since I've eat since I've eaten, and I had the IV for fluids. But got to feed the body, um, so I had to do that. That was painful, and it was probably on day two or day three that I contracted pneumonia. Um, you know, which very da dangerous for a for a quadriplegic uh, or person really of any level, um, given that I couldn't cough. Right, I couldn't clear this stuff out of my lungs on my own power. Um, there were a lot of times when I was just sitting there and there would be no one in the room and I'm, you know, I'm choking. I'm trying to find like my, my button to like call the nurses in so they can start slamming down on my chest and getting the stuff out of my lungs. It was really dangerous and it was getting bad bef uh, before it got better. Uh, I, my doctors, there were conversations we had where they're like, Robert, you might not survive this. Um, it's not certain, you know, here I am 20 years old at the time too. Um, in those moments, it was tough. 
And when I was going to sleep at night, um, which I didn't get a lot of sleep with the breathing treatments and checking up on my vitals, and I was spiking temperatures up to 105 degrees, and I got my nurses putting ice water over me and everything. I mean, death was with me in that room waiting for me to quit. Um, if I quit for one day, it could have been the end of me. I had to keep pushing forward. I had to keep my medical condition up um, or there wouldn't have been any future for me. It was really, really hard. And what got me through it was a world of support. You know, my injury was nationally televised. It was a national championship and it was televised to the entire nation. And the rugby community really rallied around me in an amazing way. And Sacramento, here where I'm from in the Bay Area and just the world of these beautiful, beautiful souls. When I had these doctors who were saying, Robert, you won't ever walk again. You won't ever move your hands. The sooner you realize that, the better it's going to be for your mental health. I had thousands of people reaching out to me saying, Robert, I believe in you. Robert, you can do this. I don't know you. I like know nothing about you at all. But the way I've seen you fight this, I know that you can do what you set your mind to. And it gave me so much hope. It kept me pushing forward. Because in the beginning, I just wanted to walk. I wanted to be able to live and breathe just for myself. It was a selfish desire that motivated me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? When I started getting those messages of people like just saying how much they got out of it, how grateful they were in their lives, you know, witnessing what I was going through and looking what they have and think, man, I, there's a lot I have to be grateful for. I know how much Robert would give to me in this situation right now um, and how much they were behind me. I was like, I don't even have a choice to push forward anymore. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for them. So that was a really tough period. Um, and it was about three and a half weeks that I spent there in Santa Clara, um, just getting medically stabilized, able to eat again, able to breathe on my own without oxygen assistance. Um, but there came a time where I was thinking, I, you know, I really want to put in a lot of work at this. I was used to training very hard in rugby and I was only getting kind of that standard three hours of therapy a day that you do at a lot of these public hospitals. And it just wasn't cutting it for me. I'm like, you know, in the beginning of these spinal cord injuries, you have this really wide window of opportunity um, when your nervous system is going to be most influenceable. And I'm thinking, I got to take advantage of every second I have in this window right now. And I'm not getting it doing three hours of therapy a day. I need eight. I need nine. I need as much as my body and my mind can handle. Um, that's a lot more than three so we found Craig Hospital over in Denver, found that it was a much longer stay, um, like a 90-day inpatient stay, um, you know, opposed to kind of that 30-day inpatient stay and the resources they had and those eight to nine hours of rehabilitation if you wanted it. Um, so it was a no-brainer for me to get on that plane over to Colorado and we got there and yeah, man, we got to work. It was good. <laughs> That's that's so cool. Um, yeah. And in the in the Pac-12 uh, feature on you, they, I saw they, they were talking to your dad and he was talking about seeing your finger uh, move a little bit yeah. after you had gotten out to Craig. And so how long like post injury are we talking about that you were able to start moving your fingers a little bit? And then I know that kind of went on to, to um, you know, even more great movement and stuff that you have now. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, what was that? Uh, what was that experience like? I guess working at Craig and 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 uh, you know, and how long after were you able to start a little bit of movement? Yeah, so I started working on that movement really early. Um, there was this exercise that I do where I'd stop, or I'd start at like the very top 
of my spinal cord neurologically. So I'd start with like my upper traps, just shrugging my shoulders. I do 20 reps of that. Just one, two, three, four, all the way to 20. And then I moved down a lower level. So I also had like, you know, most of my like deltoid stuff like that, those shoulder muscles. And I could work on like raising my arms off of the bed a bit, 20 reps, really easy stuff, you know, biceps. I had that going to see five, six injury, um, wrist extensors was able to do that pretty well. Um, and then we started getting to the hard part, right? Because nothing else was moving at that point. So, you know, keep on my back, trying to move my, my triceps out, trying to get that going. And I'm getting nothing, absolutely nothing. Now I'm squinting my eyes, I'm gritting my teeth, I'm doing everything I can, but I'm getting nothing. But still, I'm mentally sending that signal, 20 reps, one, two, three, four, all the way to 20. You know, then down to my hands, trying to close my hands, trying to bring my pinky to my thumb nothing happening. Um, you know, all the way down my torso muscles, everything in my legs, ankles, down to my toes, every muscle group, 20 reps, multiple, multiple times a day, just trying to wake the system up. Right. And then it was probably five weeks, maybe six weeks. It was father's day, um, that I was looking or no, that was my toes. Actually, it was a little bit earlier than that, that, you know, I'm doing the same thing and I'm looking at my hand and I'm trying to get it to close. And I think it was about five weeks in that, you know, I got just like a flicker out of just a few of the fingers in my left hand, um, you know, just thinking, oh, my goodness, here's a sign. Here's a signal. I've been going out of this for over a month, you know, multiple times a day, trying to get the system to wake up. And, you know, I got these questions in my head, like, is this going to pay off? Do I have a chance um, or am I just wasting my time here doing this stuff? Should I just move on to try to do something else and just simply accept this, this fact that things aren't going to get better? Thank goodness I did um, because, you know, I got that sign and just that flicker of movement doesn't do anything for me functionally, right? It doesn't change my life in any way just to be able to flicker a finger, but it like gave me that hope. It gave me that hope to keep persevering. So that did a lot for me about five weeks. I started getting a flicker in my hand and then it was probably about at six weeks that I got a flicker in my hamstring, which really affected me. I mean, I was laying in my hospital bed with tears um, you know, rolling down my face, just praying and dreaming about this moment when I could get just a flicker of movement out of something in my legs. Um, and that opened up a lot of possibilities because that officially moved me to the Asia C category, uh, where I could start doing a lot more working on you know, my gait, you know, getting up and walking and really trying to wake this nervous system up. And, um, I'd say about a week after that, I got something in the toes, um, and it, you know, it opened up these possibilities, uh, for me, but, you know, it took a lot of, of just like meditation and just repping it out, um, just to get the nervous system ramping up again, get some signs of life going. That's, that's so cool, man. So, yeah. uh, and so you were in Colorado then for 90 days or, um, and, uh, what so where were you i guess where were you at the end of that 90 days working with the with everybody at craig um mm -hmm. before you headed back to to sacramento or did you i don't even know did you go back to school craig. After that? yeah so i did my outpatient at craig hospital too so um when you know when i showed up to craig um i came in with a skin sore so that put me on my back for two weeks i'm still on the tail end of that pneumonia and working on eating so they extended my they took that like two weeks that i spent on my back and put that on the back of the inpatient so i think it was a little bit over 90 days which was really great because i was responding really well to the therapy um at that point 
my left my left side has done so much better than my right. So my left, I'd be able to you know pick up a cup and bring it to my face at that point. Would have been pretty tough with my right. Was still relying on that like tenodesis grip from my right hand quite a bit at that point. Um, but also at that point was able to do some walking in a harness, um, probably about 50% support. Um, but I'd say it was maybe eight weeks around that time frame, eight to 10 weeks into my injury when I started getting just like some flickers of movement and my hamstring and stuff like that. They said, okay, well, we're going to hook some E-stim up to your muscles, to your quads, hamstrings. Um, and we're going to see what we can do with your movement here. I'm thinking like, you know, we're not going to do anything. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen here. You guys can probably like toss my legs around and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't shown any examples that this is going to work, but you know, this is Craig hospital. They look at a person, they just see potential. Um, they just want to try everything out, um, and give you everything they got to wake the system up. So we got up in this harness and, you know, I've got my forearms locked into this walker, and um, they said, okay, Robert, everything you can right now, like move your right knee forward bend that right knee. And gosh, I mean, every like ounce of energy I had went into like getting that hip flexor going and bending that right knee. And, uh, you know, after just like three seconds of trying to get that thing going, it popped, it went. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, like it's happening, you know? And then like, okay, straighten it out, straighten it out. And, you know, they use the E-stem on the quads and stuff like that boom, plant the leg uh, foot down on the ground. And then it's like, okay, left knee, let's go. Like, you know, get that knee forward. So do the same thing. You know, I'm giving it everything I got and then boom, left knee goes and then, okay, straighten it out. And I mean, we just went for it. Um, it was, it was probably like 20 yards that I went in that session. It took me two hours to go about 20 yards. And it's just like, just grunting and screaming and, and going for it, but just feeling so so blessed. I would have given anything. I mean, anything but my friends and family. I'll give that one exception. Anything else at that moment, I would have said like, take it. I just want the chance to get on my feet and walk again. That's all I want right now. And I got it. Um, you know, things were waking up. And after that moment, man, I went back to my room and I just cried. I just cried. Um, I was so grateful for that. And, um, at the end of my inpatient stay, you know, I got, got a little bit smoother with some of that stuff. My, you know, my hands were waking up. Um, I was getting some strength in my torso back, but not enough to where I could walk outside of a harness and not enough to where I didn't need someone to, to guide my feet. You know, I couldn't place them quite that well. And my sensation was doing pretty well too. My I've worked, I've had to work much harder for my uh, motor abilities than my sensation. That's always been pretty, pretty good. Um, but after those 90 days, yeah, I discharged from inpatient, was able to, to live in an apartment close by. And I stayed at Craig hospital for about 11 months when you combine the inpatient and outpatient. Um, we did a very rigorous program called the NRN through the uh, data and Christopher Reeves foundation, uh, where we did, it was a lot of E-STEM. I responded very well to that E-STEM and it was probably about eight months into my injury that I was able to get up into a walker without the harness for the first time and take those first steps going forward. And, you know, fast forward 11 months after my injury, I was able to have someone help get me into a sit to stand into my walker, um, a platform walker, you know, my forearms up and I walked out of the hospital doors. Um, man, like, you know, did the impossible, did what the doctor said would never happen again. 
And uh, I mean, gosh, what an amazing moment at Craig Hospital. What an amazing place. These people, they gave me my life back. Um, you know, they believed in me when others didn't. And uh, I'm forever grateful to them. That's, a, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, we just uh, had Tyler Wesley on a couple weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. who he, he was working at Craig as well. And uh, yeah. And he, he's had a lot of good, uh, good, uh, you know, things have, have been coming back for him pretty quickly from working with them as well. So that's, oh, yeah. that's very cool. Um, you know, so when did you actually, then you said about, you were out there for about 11 months, like doing therapy. When, when did you, uh, cause I know you did graduate from Cal. So when did you yeah. come back and, um, and get back into school? What was that transition like for you? Mm-hmm. So right when I left Craig Hospital, um, that began the summer of 2018. So I did an internship with Intel, the semiconductor company, you know, they make computer chips and all that stuff. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction back into the real world or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it was a challenge figuring out like how I was going to balance all that with my rehabilitation, you know, Anybody who's gone through stuff like this and is continuing up at their rehab knows just like, what well, it's a full-time job, you know, just waking up and getting dressed and, you know, feeding yourself. That's all rehabilitation, I would say. Um, and then, you know, getting out to a facility, you know, where, where you're with a physical therapist or an occupational therapist um, that took a lot of time out of my days. So, man, I was waking up at 5 a.m., getting into the office at six, uh, work until about two o'clock, just blow through my lunch break uh, to be able to get in my eight hours so I could get out of the office, get changed, eat a sandwich in the car and keep pounding away at that rehab. Um, It is not something that I wanted to give up on. Uh, As long as I was getting progress, I was going, you know, and still am going to continue to work at this um, to continue to get better. Um, And it's paid off. So after that internship, it was the turn back to UC Berkeley. And there was a lot of moving parts that I had to figure out, you know, first I had to figure out, you know, what place was accessible for me. I, you know, I, the old house that I lived in was not accessible. And a lot of the houses and apartment in Berkeley are pretty old, so they don't have wheelchair access. Um, luckily, UC Berkeley, you know, offers accessible student uh, housing. So I use that, check that box, you know, just figuring out how to navigate the campus. I use a manual wheelchair right now. Um, you know, I, I like to just be able to use my arms as much as I can. Don't have a lot of shoulder pain. So, um, it's good for me. And, uh, but you know, Berkeley, I don't know if you've ever been like San Francisco or, you know, just that area, but it's just Hills for days. I mean, it's up and down. It's just like absolutely terrible. So, you know, got a smart drive, which helped me I had to get those hands strong. So I didn't speed downhill too fast and hit some old lady or something like that. Um, my rugby team, you know, they helped me get to and from my classes. That's another important thing. Like, man, using resources, like accepting help when people are offering it. Um, I'm not a guy that likes to receive help. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot of people like that, you know, that they, they just don't want to have to get help. Um, before my injury, I just, I did things myself. I was the guy who'd go out and help other people and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good, you know, having to, to get help with every little thing like that. Um, but it's so necessary. It makes life so much better. Um, when all those little things that could just be this pain, um, to make it something easier so you can focus on the stuff that, you know, that, that really moves the needle that really matters. Um, 
so I got back there and, you know, got into the Haas School of Business, which is a top three undergraduate business program in the country. Um, really excited about it. And also continuing at that rehab, our strength and conditioning coach for the Cal rugby team um, and also the associate head coach, Tom Billups, um, who, by the way, the, the man is just a saint. Um, one of the best people I've ever met on this earth. Um, you know, he's a guy, he didn't know anything about neurological rehab. You know, he knew how to get people strong. He knew how to get people um, into great rugby players, but he didn't know how to like get some guy with a spinal cord injury to be out walking again. But we went for it and we worked out five days a week, you know, walking, working on my upper body strength, lower body strength to where some of my most significant progress was with coach Billups. Um, and we just figured it out. So it also goes to show like, you know, to be able to rehab out of these injuries, um, you don't need too much all the time, you know, and that, and that beginning stage, I certainly needed those facilities from Craig hospital. Um, but just doing something, there's a lot you can do, you know, just figuring it out and being consistent, staying disciplined, um, to where when I started at Cal, you know, I started my second kind of phase at Cal two years ago in my platform walker, I could go about 50 yards walking and then I get tired. Then we eventually got to the point to where I could walk a thousand yards in that platform walker, you know, which is like just over a half mile. So I, I could walk for over an hour straight in that platform walker at one point, um, but couldn't stand up into it. Always had to, had to get helped up. So then switched to the standard walker, you know, just with the hands down, like everybody else um, usually sees and uh, could probably go about like 25 yards in that at the beginning of last year. Now I can go 300 yards walking in that and can stand up out of my wheelchair or my bed on my own into that walker. Um, so we stayed on it. Um, and I'll also say this one thing just to close out this extremely long answer is I remember um, my doctors and physical therapists saying all the time, your optimum window for recovery from the spinal cord injury is probably going to be in that first six to nine months. Then after that, it should start slowing down a little bit. And then after two to three years, you should see a complete plateau. No more progress from there on out. Lies. <laughs> BS. Oh my gosh. What a joke. Um, I've seen much more significant recovery after that first six to nine months. And I'm almost four years out of my injury now. And I continue to see very, very noticeable gains. Um, I think the reason that they find that statistic is there's a lot of people who just give up after a while, you know, whether that's them just deciding, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just done. Or, you know, responsibilities take over. Hey, I've got children. I've got to like, I've got to work. I got a job, stuff like that. I can't continue to work at this rehabilitation that takes so much time and effort. Um, but I'll say to anybody who's out there that's thinking, Oh man, I hit that nine month mark. So I'm pretty much done keep working. Like if you want it, if you got the time, you got the resources, keep going at it. Um, because that window, it, it only closes when you decide to quit. Um, that's when it really closes. That's a, that's a really good message, I think, for everybody yeah. to hear. So um, between that and, you know, not listening to the doctors telling you that, you know, they're, you know just, yeah, not, not taking that for uh, gospel when the doctors tell you you'll never walk again are two really important things, I think. Totally. Uh, so when, uh, Robert, when did you graduate then? Just this last May, I did it quarantine style. Uh, I gave a speech for the Cal Athletics graduation, which was really awesome. 
And uh, yeah, I was just over here in Sacramento watching the video with my parents. But um, yeah, it was this last May. That's, well, congratulations, man. That, yeah. That's amazing. Um, you know, in, in the uh, in the feature on, on the Pac-12 Network, I did. I wanted to ask you about um, the the scene in there where you, um, I guess, one of your your teammates had, had and and yourself went back and were watching one of the Cal rugby games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got pretty emotional dur- during mm-hmm. the national anthem. Um, and, you know, wh- what was that like for you going back to, to kind of this? And, and is that where you you were injured on? It was like a home game for you guys in the national championship. Is that? I got injured at Santa Clara. Oh, um, so that, yeah. So that was a different place. But that was my first time returning back to Cal um, and then seeing my teammates out there for a rugby match in person. And man, rugby meant so much to me. Uh, it was the biggest thing in my life um, before my injury. Uh, all my goals, all my ambitions, they were focused around, around rugby. It meant so much to me to be a good rugby player, to, to be with my teammates. There's a very special bond you know, that players share in a contact sport because you're sacrificing a lot. Um, you know, you're working hard in practice and all that kind of stuff. And you're putting in a lot of time, but you're putting your bodies on the line you're going through something that's really painful. Uh, You're going to hurt. You are going to feel pain. And the reason you go through that pain is for your teammates. I love my teammates. Um, And I know I will always be a part of that team, even if I'm not rocking out there with my cleats in the dirt. Um, But I remember going back and seeing my teammates go out of the tunnel and out there on that field, standing for the national anthem and National Anthem was always just like a really proud moment for me. Um, I love this country. Like I, I've loved everything that it's, it's given to me um, and what it stands for. And uh, I just remember like standing there in this completely different situation, seeing my teammates out there on that field and just remembering like how much all that meant to me to be able to be out on there on that field. And I was like, I broke into tears. I just, just cried. Um, just like, just remembering how much that meant um, but then also realizing this new purpose I have in life, sharing this story and inspiring people. It's just been amazing to see how many people all across the world have been so inspired by this story. And it's something that I, this ability or gift that I wouldn't have if I didn't break my neck, if I was just going out there playing rugby, there's no way I'd be able to inspire other people as I have because of what happened to me. Um, I've very much embraced this journey and this mission to take what happened to me. You'd think like the worst thing that ever could have happened to me, right? Breaking my neck and turning it into the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, a gift, a gift that taught me lessons I'll take with me for the rest of my life and a gift that I can give to other people too. Um, it's, it is emotional thinking about thinking back to all that I had. Um, but I have so much more now. I really do. It's different. It's very different. Um, but I think it's better. It's it's a really purpose driven life that I live now. That that's uh, that's really beautiful, man. That that yeah. the, you, you know, that's that that's your experience, and and that you were able to you know are able to go back and, and do all these sorts of things. And yeah. um, so that kind of leads me into the next question: like when when did you decide to start? Um, I guess sharing your story. Like, what I mean, what motivated you to? start public, you know, doing public speaking. And then obviously you got to do a Ted talk, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. So um, how did that all uh, transpire after, after your injury and going back to school and stuff? 
Yeah. So, you know, my story was pretty public in the beginning, like I was saying, and there was a lot of people who were uh, really grabbing onto it, really inspired by it. And, uh, and also a lot of people reaching out saying, you know, kind of planting these seeds in my mind thinking, Robert, you've got this awesome, awesome story. And you tell it so well, you know, you, you speak well, and there is an audience out there for this stuff. There's, you know, companies, sports teams, schools, religious groups out there looking to inspire their people, looking for some motivation and a new perspective. Uh, you should think about it. So I did. And it was one of my professors who's also been a very good friend of mine, um, has a class in the Hall School of Business. And, uh, and he's, he worked very hard for, to help me get into the high school business. Cause there was an application process there. And he's like, you just got to go to my class one day. Like, that's all I'm asking from you. And he also asked that I speak in that class, if I'd be comfortable doing that, sharing my story and sharing these tools that have helped me to overcome my challenge centered around this message in overcoming adversity that when you look at me or you see anybody else in a wheelchair with physical impairment, you can see our challenges. You can just tell that we're people who have to go through a, a lot more than the average person. Um, but when you look around, everybody's got challenges. Everybody's going through something. And I think these tools that help us to overcome our challenges can help anybody else overcome what they're going through in their lives. So I got with my rugby coach, uh, Coach Clark, who is just this legendary rugby coach. Um, he does culture consulting and he does public speaking himself. He speaks so well and he he cares so much about me and about my story and, and my success, giving this out to the rest of the world. So we sat down just about every week for a semester and we crafted this message in overcoming adversity and crafted these tools that have helped me to overcome my challenge that I can give to other people. So it was started out in the classroom and it was probably about, oh man, 50, 60 people. And, you know, I had like the whole speech, like down on my lap, you know, kind of like looking down and looking up, reading this thing. And, uh, but people were laughing and they were crying. And in the end it was a standing ovation. And I'm thinking, man, this is really fun. Like, this is something I'd want to do forever. And, you know, people also coming up saying, you know, Robert, you can make a career out of this too. Um, you know, you can inspire people and you can make some money doing it. Um, you know, this, this can be something that you do full time. So that seed got planted in my head too. The next summer, when I went back to Intel, they asked that I would share my story as well. And I did, and they really enjoyed it. And it was the same thing, laughing, crying, standing ovation. People really touched, moved and inspired by this message. Um, to where I continued to seek out opportunities where people would come in and have me speak. And, you know, for a really long time, all of it was free. All of it was just me out there with the purpose of, of sharing my message and inspiring other people. Um, and it continued to grow and grow and it got out there and referrals start moving. And, you know, I continue my outreach uh, to today. This is what I do. I share this message. I share this story with other people in hopes that it will help them to overcome their challenges. And it certainly has. And it what makes it's what makes what happened to me a net positive. Um, you know, everything I do is harder now. Getting up out of bed is hard. Brushing my teeth is hard. Walking is very hard. Um, everything I do physically is is difficult. And if that's all I got out of this, then breaking my neck would have been just a terrible thing that happened to me. But being able to talk to someone and like see tears come up in their eyes and have them say like, Robert, you changed my outlook on life. Like you touched my heart, you touched my soul. It makes it to where what happened to me 
is the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's a net positive. Me being able to inspire other people makes all those bad things I have to deal with go away. They're canceled out and then some uh, because it means so much to me. I'm so happy with this career path that I've chosen. It's been interesting during COVID because we can't get together, but virtually it's, uh, it's actually been really good. It's been a good way to bring people together all across the world and um, continue to push forward. And it's this kind of superpower that all of us spinal cord injury survivors have. Um, we have a unique perspective. We have unique experiences that the world needs to hear. People go through life every single day, taking for granted the ability to move. I mean, I try to be grateful just for my ability to breathe. There's so many people out there who can't breathe. I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I can do something like pick up this cup of water myself and drink it and feed myself and, and do all of these things. I'm so grateful for that. Having gone through this experience gave me that perspective. And I hope to never live a day of my life taking that for granted. But there's so many people who do. And there's so many people who don't have that perspective and it's up to us to give it, to give it to them, uh, to help people realize how much they have um, and to help remind ourselves how much we still have. Um, Cause there's always somebody who's got it worse out there. Um, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. That's how I, you know, like people ask me how I stay positive. It's like, I think I could be on a ventilator right now. I could, you know, yeah. I could have, less movement than I do, whatever the case may be, could, could have died. So, I mean, that's, you know, bottom line, like you, you suffer a spinal cord injury, you're real close to death. You know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, death was in your hospital room with you there. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so how, you know, the Intel, you, you spun this into, you know, doing uh, public speaking engagements with Intel and some other businesses. And then, so when did the Ted talk come about, um, and how, I mean, that must've been a huge accomplishment. Um, if you're going to be a public speaker, I mean, there's not much, uh, many bigger uh, platforms than that. So uh, yeah, how did that, that all uh, transpire for you? Totally. So one of my buddies helped me set up a website for my speaking and, you know, punch that out just so that people can get in contact with me really easily. And, um, and it was one day that uh, San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly, was putting together a TEDx conference, a virtual one for COVID. And they reached out to me. Um, you know, they had heard about my story um, and knew that I was doing public speaking and asked that I would share this message with them of overcoming adversity and using these tools that have helped me um, with paralysis, with the quadriplegia that I've dealt with. So, you know, I, you know, crafted this message to the audience and, you know, just videoing it here in like the pool room of my house uh, with the jersey uh, that was cut off of my body on May 6, 2017 behind me, you know, and giving this message in the end, standing up out of my wheelchair and into my walker to punch in this last final point. Um, but you're right. It's kind of the pinnacle of public speaking, really giving a TED talk, at least from, uh, you know, a, a public perspective. Um, so it, it was definitely a big thing to happen so soon. I, I didn't think that it would happen so soon, but I'm really grateful for it. And I'm really excited, you know, to be able to share that message with everyone, not just in a small company or, you know, not just like in a small group that pays to have me come in and speak, but to be able to give a version of my message, um, to the whole world and share these lessons that I've learned. Um, that was a pretty cool experience. That, that's very yeah. cool. That's very cool. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you got to got to have that experience. Um, yeah. yeah um, you know, the 
I, I only got a couple more questions for you. I know I, I only asked you for half an hour. We're already almost to an hour. So oh, you but, can have as much time as you want. I love this stuff. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I I think I'm not sure if it was Instagram or Twitter that I first came across your story and and your uh, your posts, but um, you know, it was it was like whatever I saw was a video of you standing up on your own and it said, you know, day 1,200 and something. And, and I know yeah, earlier. 1,220. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so where that's where you're at now is day 1,220 or what? That, that was me standing up out of my wheelchair. Oh. So that video went really viral. Um, okay. It was, it was this last labor day and you know, that's something that I've been working at for a really long time and I keep track of the days and it's like a total source of pride. To be able to say yeah. like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's 1,325 today, either 1,324 or 25 okay. um, today. But it's like this real source of pride to think like, yeah, man, I've been doing this for over 1,300 days and like right. still going after it, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was 1,220 that I was able to stand up out of my wheelchair. And, um, you know, I like to share my accomplishments on social media and, um, you know, inspire people. And uh, so I put this one out there and and I was kind of on Twitter is where it went like really viral first. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, you know, oh my gosh, like look at all these people retweeting it and commenting on it and liking on it, you know, like celebrities and stuff and, um, you know, news outlets, all these different media outlets saying, you know, hey, can we go in and share your content? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And um, I think it was the number one play for ESPN on that day for like their top 10 plays. And I'm like, looking at this stuff, just saying like, no way. So on my tweet, it got like over 3 million views and, you know, syndicated for millions of views on all these other platforms. So it was a pretty amazing accomplishment, um, how that all happened and, uh, and pretty cool to see. And also just makes it to where I was like, man, after like 1220 days of working my butt off, I was able to give joy to millions of people. And every second of those 1220 days was absolutely worth it to think that it was able to give joy to millions and millions of people. Um, that was a really cool moment. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, when did you kind of start the process, I guess, of, of like labeling what day it is um, on your, your posts or videos or, or your, uh, your Instagram posts or whatever it may be? Yeah, it was probably, it probably took me like two years before I started doing that actually. Um, and I, I like that, that day counter, actually, I wish I would have started doing it earlier. Um, it just like, it put a really big perspective behind it all. Cause you know, I think anybody could handle a spinal cord injury for like a couple days or a week or like, you know, maybe even a month. Like if you know, like, okay, it's only going to be a month and like, I'm done. Like anybody could do it. Like anybody could push forward. Um, but when you start adding up, like, weeks and months and months into years and years into decades um you know that that's where like the challenge comes in being able to get up every single day and handle it and deal with it and maybe not even just handle it but like conquer it um you know that's where like the real challenge lies i think so yeah i started doing that day counter like um a couple years ago and i actually don't it's hard for me to remember it all the time so i have like a safari page open on my phone where like how many days has been since may 6 2017 because i forget like all the time but it's a good little reminder to give to people yeah that's that's very i I really like that uh that way of telling i mean because i it's powerful just like regardless of whatever you're doing it's powerful just seeing uh, how many days it's been which is very 
very inspiring, man. Um, totally. Yeah, and so, you know, kind of the last question that I, I normally ask everybody um, in, in our situation um, is if there are any, you know, health tips, uh, like supplements, things like that, that you can, you know, that maybe you've found that some some other people haven't yet um, that you could could tell us about. Yeah, I would tell everybody in the world who's going through something like this, um, utilize E-STEM. Um, I have used so much e-stem throughout my recovery i will say it is definitely the single greatest intervention i've used um i have like it's a zynex uh medical um device just like you know little black device just takes like a nine volt um but man this thing works really well to where um you know you don't have to have like a very expensive fes bike or something like that to be able to get some really solid work in with e-stem and um, and, you know, it does a lot to wake up the nervous system. And, you know, once, if things do wake up a little bit, being able to build that signal and, you know, even if, even if there aren't any neurological signals going on, being able to just like maintain that muscle tone, good for the blood flow, good for the bones, um, just good for everything. Um, keeping your muscle tone up with that E-STEM. So I definitely recommend that to everyone, but, you know, supplements, equipment, all that things, uh, you know, those are so important, but what is most important of all is the mind and keeping your mind straight and continuing to push forward. Um, you know, when things get really tough for me, I will say the greatest thing that helps me is perspective, like having a really good grip on perspective. When going through something like this, it's really, really easy to feel self-pity. It's really, really easy to feel like we're going through the worst thing on this earth. Um, and that's all false and that's all very unhealthy. It's very important to continue to look outside of ourselves. Look at these stories of people who are struggling, like people who are going through something really, really hard. And there's this saying that I use all the time when I'm feeling down on myself. And I just say, compared to what? And I'll be like, man, I'm just dealing with a lot right now. But compared to what? Or, you know, I love that. I love that. Oh, man. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm hoisting myself into a wheelchair again. But compared to what? Like, I know I myself have gone through so much worse and I know there are millions and millions of people out there who are going through something right now that is worse than something I will ever go through. Um, having that perspective saying, man, compared to what it keeps us on that straight path. It like keeps us looking forward, staying grateful for what we have, because no matter how bad it is, there is always something to be grateful for. There's always someone going through worse and there's always that decision to keep pushing forward. So like keep that perspective just keep yourself moving. Um, like that's the key. Oh man. I, I can't think of a better way to end the podcast than, than that message. Uh, that was, uh, that's amazing. I, I really, uh, yeah. Thank you, Robert Paler, man. You, you, uh, exceeded my expectations for this interview. I'm, I'm pumped up now. This is, this is great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. It is like, it's an absolute pleasure. I love everything that you're doing. Um, I hope the audience gets a lot out of this. Um, Absolutely. If anybody wants to reach me, I would say, you know, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I mean, LinkedIn, if you're into that and Twitter, um, there's not a lot of Robert Paylors out in the world. So it's pretty easy to find me on all those platforms or even my website, robertpaylor.com. But yeah, you know, if you're inspired, like, please reach out to me. It gives me so much to be able to interact with the people who have been following my story. Um, I hope that by seeing my videos of me, you know, getting after it every day, that it encourages um, you and others to keep getting after it too. Um, but yes, if anybody would like to reach me, that's where to find me.
Yeah, we will. Uh, I was just going to say we'll, we'll uh, attach um, the links to all of your uh, your social media and, and your website on onto the podcast as well. So anybody can, can reach out. And yeah, thank you again, my friend. I, I really appreciate the time and, and the, uh, you know, all the uh, inspiration that you're, you're providing to, to everyone in our in our situation and far beyond it. So, of course, it is my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Robert. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Okay, that was uh, Robert Paler, um, the super inspiring. And it's cool, man. He's doing TEDx talks. He's doing, you know, he really just embraced, like, this challenge and is is taking it head on, man, which is, is very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a something <clears throat> that I've learned um, from doing this podcast and being a little more engaged in the the spinal cord community, the, the spinal cord injury community, is that um, these are some of the, if not the most inspirational people in the world. I agree, man. I definitely agree. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've had a great run of guests like you know, Robert. We had Tyler Wesley. We had you know, Art Renowitzki. Uh, just had the list uh, goes on yeah i mean it goes on and on walking rich richard Dahl, like that was a great interview um it's just been a good time man i've really uh really enjoyed getting to know these people i mean i definitely consider a good majority of the people we've had on as friends now Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean we're just we're out here man trying to trying to make the most of of a bad situation you know yeah as as most of them are as well but the thing Robert said too, man, is that he, you know, like that even though that his injury completely changed his life, it's almost the best thing that ever happened to him. See? So. That's crazy. That's crazy in most people's minds to think about. Jeremy. Right. No, I, I hear you, man. It's crazy in my mind to think yeah. about because, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, def- I don't know. Well, it's like I've said before, it's, uh, to me, I'm just like blown away that in at some of the, if not all of the people's ability to maintain a positive attitude and then use it as fuel to um, make the world a better place. Right. And that, I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, let's like the goal for this podcast is obviously to find a cure for paralysis. Right. And it's i mean that's like everybody wants that but it's it's like we're going to make the most of what we have while mm-hmm. while we're while we're uh striving for that so you know i just want to yeah it's dope yeah i want to give a big thank you to everybody you know it, that's that listens in the community mm-hmm. that is supporting this podcast um you know it's a it's an honor to to have people listening to it and and for it to to kind of find a home in the podcast world so uh we definitely appreciate all of you i know the the year is coming to an end and time to reflect on on the year gone by which was, it was a tough one for everybody um but you know especially like people living you know with spinal cord injuries it can't can't be easy out there i know my my uh circle has definitely shrunk down significantly this year but um you know friends and family even like virtually is uh you know have been supportive and i I appreciate everyone so keep listening we're gonna keep rocking with you in 2021 hopefully you keep rocking with us dang 
And uh, yeah, so I, th- I think we're gonna be back. We, we might get one more in before the end of the year, but oh, you think so? I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm working on it. All so, right, we'll do a New Year's countdown. Yeah, we'll do a little, we'll do a New Year's live one. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Everybody's like, "What are you doing for New Year's?" And I'm like, "Not a goddamn thing." We'll be on podcast, all right? He's sitting here uh, just trying to to not get COVID still. So anyway, everybody stay safe, stay uh, healthy. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all that stuff. Until next time.